Some things shouldn't be transparent, like stop signs. But what you pay for should always be clear, like Hiller's true transparency pricing, always clearly itemized and never any hidden fees. Because you have the right to know what you're paying for. For more information, visit happyhiller.com slash true transparency pricing. Happy you'll be of the services free. Call the Happy Face Truck today. Now, 104.5 The Zone's non-stop sports talk continues with a look at Nashville's teams and at news around the nation from the lead writer of 104.5thezone.com. This is the Big Six. The Big Six with Jason Martin. Presented by Renters Warehouse. And here we go. Straight up, 6 o'clock by my watch means it's time for the one and only Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. Glad to have you with us. My name is Jason Martin. You can follow me on Twitter at jmartzone. Many of you already do. Appreciate that. Say it every night. I'm blessed beyond measure, all reasonable and otherwise. Hope you recognize that you are as well. Hope this finds you and yours doing exceedingly well in your own lives. My DMs are always wide open at jmartzone to have a faith-based conversation. That will always be true. If you want to have it with me, I would love to, to talk about it with you. If not me, I hope you find somebody that you do trust. So there's a lot happening. It's interesting as the NFL is now 50 days away from the opening of its 100th season. It'll be Green Bay and Chicago on Thursday night, 50 days from right now, where the NFL will get started. And there have not been that many stories to talk about. The NBA has dominated the headlines, and thank goodness for free agency because it has created a whole lot of pretty good, intriguing, interesting content. And Durant's comments about why he went to Brooklyn, I might talk about a little bit later on. I had Alan Bell of 24-7 Sports on Outkick the Coverage this morning. Jeff Schwartz and I did, and we talked about this very topic And his answer to it was pretty interesting. He said, yeah, there just haven't been many arrests, and that's a positive. But years ago, it seemed like there were a lot of off-field incidents. This year, it's been Tyreek Hill, and it's been a little bit of the Zeke Elliott thing, which is, I think, blown out of proportion. I don't know that I would go as far as his attorneys to call it extortion, but this is a guy who probably shouldn't have pressed charges that is going to, that wants a little bit of a payday from a rich athlete. That would be my interpretation of it. I could be wrong. I don't think I am in this case. But speaking of Zeke Elliott, something that I punted on was talking about Melvin Gordon, and now Zeke Elliott's out here in the news as well. And it's all about money and what you pay and what you don't. Yesterday I talked about Ben Simmons, five years, $170 million deal extension that he signed with the Sixers. And there is talk that they signed him in order to potentially trade him because they see what we all see, which is, yeah, he's got everything that you want except for the fact that he can't shoot. And not being able to shoot in 2019 as a guard really harms him. This is not the turn of the century, Jason Kidd. This is not the 90s. He plays a game that's 30 years outdated for a point guard. And right now he's expected to score. And although he can be a scorer when he gets to the rack, he is a flat-out liability on the outside. Well, Melvin Gordon scored, I think it's 38 touchdowns over the last three seasons. He is a guy that definitely can find the end zone for the Chargers. And then there's Zeke Elliott. I'm going to read this from the... Los Angeles Times, and I think this actually came originally from Dallas and was then reprinted again, but actually, no, it was from the LA Times. Back on September the 17th, 1993, Dallas Cowboy running back Emmett Smith 
who held out in an attempt to become the highest-paid player at his position in the NFL, got his wish Thursday, signing a four-year contract worth a reported $13.6 million. Smith's signing two games into the regular season breaks an impasse between the two-time NFL rushing champion and Cowboy owner Jerry Jones that had inflamed Dallas players and fans. Without Smith this season, the defending Super Bowl champions are 0-2. And after they went 0-2, they immediately paid him. Now, Jerry Jones said that they front-loaded his deal, and that's why they couldn't do it originally because they were trying to pay other people. But Emmitt Smith wanted, quote, at that time in 93, this makes sense. He wanted, quote, Thurman Thomas money, unquote. And he got his wish because at the time he was indispensable to the Cowboys. In 1993, this league was a whole lot more about running than it was about throwing. Troy Aikman threw an average of 28 passes that season per game, and that was high for him. They did run behind Emmitt Smith and that offensive line, and they had all that talent on defense. Despite the fact that they had Michael Irvin and Novacek and those guys, Emmitt Smith was sort of the guy. And so Zeke Elliott, multiple reports have him saying he wants a new deal or he could sit out of training camp, and he's trying to wield some leverage right now. I don't know if it's leverage that he has, but there are a couple of ways to look at this. One, there are three guys that have to be paid or three guys that Dallas is going to have to make a decision on on that offense. They've already paid Lawrence, and there are a couple of other guys that are out there that they still need to take care of as well. But they've got a quarterback in Dak Prescott, a number one wide receiver in Amari Cooper, and then they've got, I think, the best running back overall in the NFL in Ezekiel Elliott. And those are three guys. They're going to have to determine who gets what piece of the pie. And if one is expendable, which one is more expendable? If you look at the NFL in 2019, you can make the argument that Elliott is the one that you would let go of the three because it's a quarterback's league. If it were me and I had to just look at which one is best, like if I looked at pure talent, it would go Zeke, Amari, Dak. I'm on record, and I've said it many times. I think Dak is a pretty good but nowhere near elite quarterback. I don't know if we've seen the best from Dak, but Dak Prescott has all the intangibles without some of the tangibles. I'm not saying he's Tim Tebow because he's not, but even though he can make some plays for you and he's going to make some things happen, he's also going to miss some plays that he should make, like the one that he threw in the end zone against the Titans last year down in Dallas on that Monday night football excursion where Tennessee got themselves right around the middle of the season, winning that big game on the road. So Dak Prescott, he's going to ask for money, and it makes sense but where do you put Dak Prescott? Do you put him in the top 10 of NFL quarterbacks? Because if you don't, then you're paying a guy that's going to be average. Game manager sounds like a slight. I don't know that he's a game manager because of what he can do from an athletic standpoint, but his passing still concerns me. He's missing guys that he shouldn't be missing some of the time. And one of his biggest assets is Ezekiel Elliott. Now, he has a number one target in Amari Cooper, but Amari Cooper and Jeff Schwartz, who was with me this morning on Fox, mentioned this. Most of Amari Cooper's stuff is after the catch, him making moves, making guys miss, and using his speed and athleticism to go down the field. He would catch the ball outside the numbers between seven to nine yards more consistently than anything else he would do. And if you go back and watch the highlight tape of Amari Cooper, he would then take the ball to the house sometimes or he would get big gains because he's Amari Cooper, not because Dak Prescott threw it 45 yards down the field. But Zeke Elliott, his success rate – a lot of it is predicated not just on running the ball north and south, 
but being the safety valve of all safety valves as it relates to the screen passes and just getting open out in the flats or just a couple of yards off the line of scrimmage and then being able to make something happen once the football uh, entered his grasp. So Zeke wants to get paid. He's still got two years left on his rookie deal. Dak and Amari Cooper become free agents after this coming season. So they are the more pressing concerns of the three. Because it's 2019, a running back's always going to be the most indispensable, or pardon me, the most dispensable of those three. If you've got a top-wide receiver that you believe in, you probably should pay that guy. If you have a quarterback that you think, well, I don't know that we're going to be able to get better than this guy for a while, and we like what he brings and we like his potential, if you think you have the quarterback, then you can't not pay him. Running backs, and this goes to the Melvin Gordon argument, Melvin Gordon wants money, and I get it, pro bowler, but he's also been banged up a lot. He hasn't. I think he's only played one full season in his career. He's got that Mariota effect where he's missed nine games over the last three years. Even though he has done pretty well, his efficiency numbers aren't as off the charts as you would think they are. But the biggest ability in sports is availability, and he has not been particularly available at key times. Also, I don't know what the drop-off is between Melvin Gordon and somebody like Austin Eckler. I just don't know. Melvin Gordon is a really good football player. I think the Chargers are probably better with him on the field than when they're not. But they're also loaded at wide receiver. They've got at least a borderline Hall of Fame. I don't know that he gets in, but from a talent perspective, Phillip Rivers is a Hall of Fame player and an ultimate competitor and a guy that was an MVP candidate even last year as deep into his career as he is. He has aged a lot more gracefully and his game has than Eli Manning's has in New York, and they've done a much better job at assembling talent and keeping things around him to help him win. His problem is he can't seem to win in the postseason. But Melvin Gordon hasn't done much for you in the playoffs either. And if he's banged up as often as he is, what was the big story for Tennessee at the end of this past year? Marcus couldn't go in that game against the Colts on Sunday night football when it was all or you go home. And so they went home behind Blaine Gabbard. Maybe they would have gone home behind Mariota anyway because Andrew Luck is better than Mariota by a wide margin. But if you can't be on the field, then how do you pay? If you're Melvin Gordon, I can see why you want to get paid, especially if you look at the analytics that say running backs as a whole. Once you get past the three-year mark, the returns are already beginning to diminish, and sometimes substantially. Now, Zeke hasn't had as many touches as he would have otherwise. It's almost that he was benefited at least for the longevity of his career, by the suspension. And I know that sounds terrible to say, but he missed six games. And they have not beaten him to death the way that they did DeMarco Murray, where they basically took years off his career with a record-setting number of carries. Then he went to Philadelphia, and he was a shell of himself, and then had a bit of a resurgence when he was here with the Titans. That first year was glorious stuff for DeMarco Murray. But Zeke Elliott right now is at that three-year mark, And he knows, as does everyone else, that people are taking a look at numbers before they're then dishing out numbers with dollar signs behind them. And so you understand exactly what Zeke Elliott is talking about here. Zeke Elliott and his people want to try and hold out. And their timing is better than Melvin Gordon's because Melvin Gordon is a guy that should he want to get sprung or get paid and he thinks the Chargers are not going to pay him, Right now, he's decided he's going to make this decision when all the teams that could have potentially acquired him, like for instance, 
when the Jets got Le'Veon Bell, the, the other teams that were hoping to get Le'Veon Bell, that I guess you could say lost the Le'Veon Bell sweepstakes, even though Le'Veon, I don't think, got the money that he thought he was going to get, and maybe his gamble didn't work quite as well as anticipated. But those that lost out on Le'Veon Bell would have easily gone for Melvin Gordon. I mean, Melvin Gordon, would there would have been a market pre-draft or even right after the draft, but certainly before it, if you're moving picks around and moving assets around, and when money is still there to spend at the beginning of free agency, now guys and teams have already figured out what they're going to do, and so the money's not available the way that it would have been otherwise. So Melvin Gordon is trying to place leverage on the Chargers when he doesn't really have it. He had much more leverage three or four months ago than he does now. So I don't know exactly what he's trying to accomplish here. He seems to be a really good young man, goes about his business well, doesn't have problems off the field. You like a lot of things about him. And when he's healthy, uh, he's no doubt a dual-threat guy in similar fashion to a Camara or a Zeke Elliott or a Saquon Barkley, somebody that can catch the ball out of the backfield and can run it effectively. But because of the value of the running back position in 2019, it's real difficult to get me to say, yeah, you should pay that guy. And so when we talk about Melvin Gordon, my initial reaction is, of course you don't pay him. I know you might be better with him. I don't know how much better he is than Austin Eckler. I just don't. I haven't seen enough of Eckler, and I haven't seen anything that I would consider so transcendent from Melvin Gordon that he's in that echelon. He wants David Johnson money, and I don't know that that has paid off by any means for Arizona. He wants Todd Gurley money. Todd Gurley's now got knee arthritis and could dog him for the rest of his career, and Todd Gurley watched C.J. Anderson do pretty well in his stead for the most part, when Gurley was unable to go with all that mysterious, he was on a bike, but he wasn't on the field stuff last year for the Rams, and he wants Le'Veon Bell money. Melvin Gordon might have the talent of those guys or at least be in the vicinity of that talent, but he's been banged up more than all of them, and you just can't get me to say, yeah, you should pay Melvin Gordon. I might want him on my fantasy team, and I might pay a high auction rate to get him on my fantasy team, but running backs, paying big money for running backs, when you see where you can get a lot of talented dudes in the draft and how often when you take them too early, they don't pan out, it seems like an antiquated notion and the kind of thing a backward-thinking football franchise would do. How good does Melvin Gordon already have it with the Chargers? And does he realize it? He's got a former running back as his head coach. So that's a guy that's going to give him the football. He's got a borderline Hall of Fame quarterback, somebody that's right there, He's and a, and a winner. He's got great wide receiving talent surrounding him. He's got a young defense, Derwin James, and, and guys that you really like on that side of the ball, an improved offensive line. He's got all sorts of benefits around him. I think the same thing about Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown could flourish with the Raiders. I'm not saying that he's not a great player. I'm saying I think he's going to realize relatively quickly once he suits up for the Raiders this year, just how good his life actually was in Pittsburgh with a Hall of Fame quarterback in Roethlisberger, with a coach that you trust a little bit more, even if he's a little long in the tooth or his message has been tuned out with Mike Tomlin, with a solid organization that's well run, and he joined a circus, and he's going to realize real quick the luxuries that he had. Melvin Gordon might know the luxuries. He's just trying to cash in because running backs, I think, and Jeff Schwartz said this this morning to me, 
they're going to increasingly start asking for money in the three-year shot because they know what the numbers say. So that's the best chance to maximize their value. Would I pay Zeke? Probably. I think he's the best running back in the league. I don't think Dallas should lose him. Would I pay Melvin Gordon? Nope. We'll be right back. This is a big six on 104.5 The Zone. Zone. to the Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. We're a little bit closer to the weekend than we are to the start of the week. That's the good news. Wednesday coming to a close here in the Music City. We're brought to you by Renters Warehouse, dedicated to helping homeowners become rent estate investors by renting their homes instead of selling. Renters Warehouse, the rent estate company. I'm Jason Martin. You can follow me on Twitter at jmartzone. Appreciate that. When you make a commitment to the quarterback you want to make sure that this is going to be your guy for the next 7 to 10 years, when you look at the percentage of the cap quarterbacks are driving, nobody is more proud of what Marcus has done in the offseason than me. He's come back stronger, bigger, with greater understanding of what we're doing offensively, being able to communicate it to players on the field. I don't look at the lack of a long-term extension as a negative, though that's what people try to make it. I know Marcus's demeanor, and that won't change whether he's on a 10-year contract or it's up after the season. He's that type of person, so I know it'll work because of how he is, unquote. That from Titans head football coach Mike Vrabel about his quarterback, Marcus Mariota, who they're not committing to long-term yet, and we already know this. This is the show-me season for Marcus Mariota. If he goes out and balls... If he goes out and stays healthy and balls and the Titans make the playoffs, they're probably going to pay him. You know how I feel about this. I think that because this question is still out there, it already has the answer, and that answer is not in the favor of Marcus Mariota. But I could change my mind. I am willing to watch him for one more year and see. I hope that he stays healthy. I hope at the very least that this can be made based on what he does on the field, not the fact that he can't stay on the field. I said in the first segment, it's the oldest adage in sports, or one of them to be sure. Certainly a cliche that's said more and more these days. The best ability in all of sports is availability. And that can actually be true in anything. Like You're not going to be a very good lawyer if you can't get to court. You're not going to be a good surgeon if you can't make it to the hospital. You're not going to be a good radio host if you can't make it to work or you have a sore throat that lasts for six months. You're going to struggle during that time frame. Marcus Mariota, in similar fashion to the guy I was describing in the last segment, Melvin Gordon, who I said you can't pay him what he wants. And I look, he doesn't have leverage, so I don't think he's going anywhere. And I think maybe they will take care of him should he go out and ball this year the way that he has balled, but he's also got to prove that he can stay healthy as well. He and Mariota both have been dogged by this injury bug. What Vrabel's saying, this is not a hot take. This is not anything controversial at all from Mike Vrabel. And it was just like when John Robinson came on our airwaves. I think it was with the midday 180. And he really wouldn't commit about Marcus Mariota either. Because why would you at this point? There are negotiations that are going to come. But... The market, if you look at what Carson Wentz was given, and if you look at Russell Wilson, if you look at this, I don't know if that is a total blueprint for what Mariota and his people are going to ask for. I just know that if it is, you've got to let him go. Unless he goes out and wins you double-digit games and he's responsible for it this year. I look at Derrick Henry as well. That first segment I was talking about running backs. 
one of the articles that was written on Pro Football Talk uh, earlier today was that plenty of carriers, carries are expected for Derrick Henry this year, which, I mean, I don't think that that's a surprise to anybody else. But the Titans website basically says that Arthur Smith intends to ride Derrick Henry. That's from our own Jim Wyatt. 97 carries, 625 yards, and eight touchdowns for Derrick Henry in December. The single most productive month any NFL running back had last season. It'd be a 2,000-yard season if it's something he could maintain over a 16-yard or a 16-game campaign. This is the final year of his contract. He wants a big year. He wants a lot of money. He's a running back who's right there again. He's never going to be hotter than he was at the back half of last year. And so you have to expect that he's going to start asking for money pretty soon if he comes out of the gate strong and if the offense does, in fact, tailor itself to him properly. But that's sort of your problem here. But the Mariota argument just basically centers around the fact that we still have too much incomplete information. And that stinks for an organization, for any company to have to make a major decision like that based on incomplete information continues to be a problem as it relates to Mariota. I've said before, on the field, at times he looks fantastic. At times he looks terrible. Seeing Fahey, who I don't know why anyone actually pays attention to anything he has to say, but a few years ago he it looked like he was going to be a burgeoning superstar as an analyst for ESPN and then just kind of dropped off the cliff, put out his quarterback ratings yesterday, and Marcus Mariota was number seven. He was above Carson Wentz. He was above Tom Brady. I mean, right there, I could just stop talking. I mean, please. I'm not going to read or anything else. Remember, I was talking about Chris Sims a few weeks ago. Everybody's got their own rankings. Some of them have an agenda behind them that is not, I don't like this guy, I like this guy. It is, I like myself, and I want you to like me, so I want to say something controversial. So even if you don't like me, you'll talk about me because all publicity is good publicity, even though that's a farce and isn't true. So I don't know what that necessarily means as it relates to Mariota being seen by this one guy as the seventh best quarterback in the league. He's not the seventh best quarterback in the league. He's not the 17th best quarterback in the league because to be ranked anywhere close to the top 10, you've got to be far more consistent than we've seen from Marcus Mariota. And the refrain that he's now got the most weapons that he's ever had, cool. Go win games. Go be responsible for that. Don't throw for 180 yards a game throw for 300. I don't know that he's ever going to be asked to do that. Russell Wilson doesn't have gaudy numbers from a yardage standpoint because that offense is built more on the running game and the defense even now. But maybe they're going to do more with Russell Wilson. But as it relates to the Tennessee Titans, Marcus Mariota is in the midst of very much so a show-me season. And I think he knows it, and I know that the Titans organization knows it. And when training camp opens here in just a few days – we're all going to be scrutinizing and watching everything he does. I'm going to be standing there on that practice field listening to various people talk about his throwing platform, and he was late on this throw. He's early on this throw. I don't get as much out of training camp, but I get a lot more these days thanks to Dave McGinnis. That's going to be my favorite part of the remainder of this summer is standing next to the coach and letting him teach me more about football like he did last year. But I mentioned Russell Wilson there. Golden Tate went on a Detroit web show that's affiliated with their newspaper and talked about Matthew Stafford and Russell Wilson. Well, he talked about the best quarterbacks he's ever played with. He's with the Giants this year, with the Eagles this past year, and, of course, spent four and a half years in Detroit and Seattle before that. 
he was there before Russell Wilson, but he was also there with Russell Wilson. He was there with Tavares Jackson. He was there with Matt Hasselbeck for a season as well. And Charlie Whitehurst. But he said that the best quarterback he ever played with was Matthew Stafford. And so, because we're in mid-July, everyone was up in arms saying, oh, look at him taking a shot at Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson's a far better player than Matthew Stafford. Well, let me submit to you that I totally understand why Golden Tate would say this. I don't think he was trolling Russell Wilson at all. I don't think this was a slight at Russell Wilson at all. But keep in mind that Golden Tate is a wide receiver. And Matthew Stafford is a passer. Many believe that maybe at this point, for a while, he probably had the most arm talent in the league. He's got an exquisite arm. He's an unbelievable passer, is Matthew Stafford. Now you probably would say Pat Mahomes and maybe Aaron Rodgers is right there. Those are probably still the three guys in the league that you would look at in terms of pure arm talent and just marvel at. Well, Stafford and his postseason futility, having Calvin Johnson not being able to do much with him, And then, of course, Golden Tate was probably the best slot receiver in football in terms of yards after catch and usage and targets as well. Stafford and him got along great on the field. And in Seattle, what did they do? Well, they built that team around Marshawn Lynch and a dominating defense. Russell Wilson runs the ball a lot. He scrambles a lot. He makes plays out of nowhere a lot. And so Golden Tate, wasn't asked, wasn't called upon. His number wasn't called quite as often. So slow down with your slights against Russell Wilson. Look instead at what Golden Tate's responsibilities were and how often he was looked at by the offense in Detroit. And there you get your answer. This is a manufactured controversy, if there's a controversy at all. And, I, you know, it didn't blow up too much. But some people thought, oh, look at him taking a veiled shot at Russell Wilson. No, he's not. One, he didn't say anything negative about Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson is the superior football player. Matthew Stafford is a better quarterback in terms of a pure passer, even though I've said before on this show, Russell Wilson, probably the best deep ball this decade in the league. It's him and Aaron Rodgers in terms of being able to just wing it down accurately 45, 50 yards down the field. He's got a great arm, comes from baseball, and just pure talent from Russell Wilson. But Wilson has more yards. He's accounted for more touchdowns. He's, of course, won a Super Bowl. He's been a better player. But if you are a wide receiver that wants to catch passes like they all do, then you would say the guy that's getting you the ball more often is the one that you think is probably the better quarterback. So calm down on the Golden Tate hatred if you have any or if you think that he's taking some kind of major pot shot at Russell Wilson. No, he's not. There's no critique of Wilson. This is Golden Tate really being happy that he caught a lot of footballs in Detroit, and that's it. We'll be right back. Big Six, 104.5 The Zone. Zone. Welcome back inside the friendly confines of the 104.5 The Zone studios. This is the Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. I'm Jason Martin on Twitter at jmartzone. Glad to have you with us. So, Kevin Durant. Whenever I read about Kevin Durant, it's never good anymore. I mean, except when we're talking about his basketball talent. So, he tells the Nets organization and Sean Marks, their general manager, goes on television and and does some interviews, and he says, yeah, this is what Kevin Durant told us. 
He told the Nets that he decided he would go to Brooklyn and not stay with Golden State or sign elsewhere because he loves the way the team plays. Quote, I love the system. I love how you guys play. I see how hard you guys play. You were never out of games. We could never take you guys lightly. First off, that's rich that he's looking at. He's like, oh, they played hard. I like that they played hard. Kevin Durant was in a situation where his team didn't have to play very hard much of the time and still won most of their games because of their just surreal level of talent across that floor with multiple MVPs and probably three, maybe four Hall of Famers, probably four Hall of Famers on that starting lineup alone. But let's be real here. Kevin Durant did not go to Brooklyn because he liked the way that Brooklyn plays and that they play hard as if nobody else plays hard in the league. Like the Clippers didn't play hard last year when they beat Golden State twice in the playoffs with Kevin Durant playing in those games, by the way. Like Toronto didn't play hard. Like there's a bunch of teams that are just jaking it in the league for some reason. Kevin Durant went to Brooklyn because it was not Golden State. Because when Kevin Durant went to Golden State, he thought championships were the answer to his problems. And then he found out that it was not his team. And that even after he won the titles, people continually would put an asterisk next to his championships, despite the fact that he was the main cog for why they won those championships in terms of what he did on the floor. I still think it's Steph Curry's team, too. And that's the whole problem. I'm not alone. Everybody thinks it's Steph Curry's team. Kevin Durant went there and thought just because he was the most talented player on the team that it was all of a sudden going to become his team. And it's not. Jalen Rose said this morning on ESPN, and this is going to drive Kevin Durant insane because nothing doesn't drive Kevin Durant insane when it's something about Kevin Durant or if it's something about someone else regarding Kevin Durant. What Jalen Rose reported, take this for what it's worth, is that the Nets' prime target in free agency this year, the one that they were most excited to acquire, was Kyrie Irving, not Kevin Durant. I still think it's Kevin Durant's team because I don't think Kyrie Irving can have a team if Kevin Durant is on it. But just the sheer fact that Brooklyn, who Kevin Durant loves how they play, he's so excited about the system and he loves how hard they play and never take them lightly because they just fought and they were tenacious. Well, now he loves the way they play, but they wanted Kyrie Irving according to this one report, which who knows whether it's whether or not it's even true. A whole lot of people have sources that we don't know who they are because they probably don't exist. I will never tell you I have sources unless I actually do. I don't know that I will ever have sources. But this is what Jalen Rose said, and that's all it's going to take. Believe me, Kevin Durant is going to sit around and think about this. If he hears about it, it's all he's going to think about. And I wonder how fast he's going to say, hmm, how can I get out of Brooklyn? Or at least that's going to rattle around in his brain a bit because the small voice inside him is going to now see this not just as a slight, but all of a sudden this is not my team either, even though it will be. problem for Kevin Durant is his ego is going to take a shot when he comes back from this ruptured Achilles and realizes he can't move the way he used to move. He's still going to be able to shoot, but he's not going to be able to get to the rack. He's not going to be nearly the athlete that he was before this. I could be wrong. History tells me that I'm not. Technology has come a long way. History tells me that I'm not wrong about this, though.
So Kevin Durant is not just going to have struggles as it relates to the off the floor and how people perceive him. On the floor, he's not going to be the same guy, and I don't know how he's going to react to that. I talked about Russell Westbrook yesterday, and what what's going to happen to his psyche when he loses half a step or a full step with his lack of shooting ability? What has he got left at that point? And as much of a competitor as he is, that is going to be a really, really hard transition. And guys try to extend their careers through whatever they can because they love this and they don't understand why all of a sudden they don't have what they used to have on the floor. But as it relates to a guy like Westbrook, he's probably going to be out of the league a lot sooner than other people that are on his level of stardom because when it goes for him, it's all going to go for him. Another guy that's being talked about right now is Andre Iguodala. 16 seasons in the NBA. Could he be a piece for one of these teams to take them over the hump? We're here in Houston being mentioned. Maybe he would make sense there. If you put him with the Clippers, you would have Kawhi, Paul George, Patrick Beverly, and him. All of them defenders. All of them guys that have had some level of success against LeBron James as well. And so that would be enticing. But Iguodala has played forever. And he, I think, plays in pain more often than not at this stage in his career. But they are definitely going to try, if they can, to acquire him, I think, in Houston. I don't know whether or not they're going to be able to pull that off. But that seems like the most likely scenario. And then there's Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis, who's who told Rachel Nichols that he's just worried about this year when he was asked if he was going to be in L.A. long-term, and so people went crazy. Oh, it's just a one-year deal. No, keep in mind that he's with Clutch Sports as well. Rich Paul, just like LeBron James, just like Ben Simmons, as a matter of fact. All this is is, and I bet you LeBron was helpful with this as well. Anthony Davis, because he wants to be involved in Hollywood, and it seems like all of the motions are he does want to be in L.A. long-term, But there's no reason necessarily to say that right now because if you change your mind, then you're Kyrie Irving telling those kids in Boston, I'm going to be here, I'm going to stay here, and then not staying there and doing the same thing in Cleveland. Anthony Davis wants to have leverage, and he wants to be the power. The power with the Los Angeles Lakers organization, with all due respect to Rob Palenka and anybody else, the power in that organization resides with Rich Paul, LeBron James, Anthony Davis. And they want to keep it that way. And so saying little things like this, putting out morsels and nuggets like this in the media, helps keep the power and the leverage with the players. And that's what the NBA is increasingly built upon, is the power of its stars, the power of its players. Anthony Davis is not going to leave the Lakers. I highly doubt that, unless it goes so badly this year, and I just don't foresee that happening. Anthony Davis is going to be happy there. It's where he wants to be, but he gains nothing out of saying that because he can get out after this year if he wanted to. So he's going to put a little bit more pressure on the organization. And he said, I'm just going to go out there and see what we do this year. Right. He's going to go out there with the other dude that's represented by his agency the guy who's the main client in all of American pro sports in LeBron James with clutch sports. And he's going to stay there. And then they're going to finagle whatever they need to finagle, do whatever PR that they need to do to ensure that they are in the best position to have power and leverage over that organization. 
So this should not be taken as, oh, Anthony Davis is not going to commit to staying with the Lakers. He is going to stay with the Lakers. You can go ahead and record this. You can take this podcast and download it and cut that piece of audio, and you can bury me with it at the end of this season if it changes. But only if it goes horribly wrong in Los Angeles, which it's not going to, even if they don't win the title, and I don't necessarily think that they will win the title, they're going to be in the mix. They're going to win 60 games probably, and they're going to be just fine. This is all about making sure that the power and the control stays in the hands of two guys on that team represented by the same agency. And maybe so that they can either find a way to get another point guard or just force the issue and keep the Lakers on their toes and keep Rob Polinka just a little bit uncomfortable. That's it. Nothing more to see here. The police tape is up. They're just saying, yep, 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 moving along, moving along. I'm telling you, this is not a story. We'll be right back with something that's hilarious. The Madden ratings upset NFL players year after year. This year is no exception. I'll explain why it makes total sense, but it's also relentlessly funny and entertaining every single year. We'll be right back. Big Six, 104.5 The Zone. Welcome to the program, Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone, finishing up on a Wednesday night. I'm Jason Martin, host of the Jason Martin Show on Fox Sports Radio, Sunday mornings. You can hear that right here on The Zone as well. Two to four, you hear live, then you hear the third hour of the program from 6 to 7 a.m. here on The Zone. We're brought to you by Renters Warehouse, dedicated to helping homeowners on the path to financial freedom through rent estate, renting your home without having to do the hard stuff. Renters Warehouse, the rent estate company. Well, Matt and 20 is coming out pretty soon. And that means players are upset. And this is relentlessly funny to me year in and year out. It's predictable, and there's really nothing wrong with them getting upset about it. I think there's a couple of things that you can take away from it that make a lot of logical sense if you stop. But first, I just want to make you laugh. If you have not heard this, Keenan Allen, receiver for the Chargers, back-to-back pro bowler, I think one of the more undervalued players in the league. When you talk about top receivers, a lot of people don't mention Keenan Allen except like hardcore football folks. But Keenan Allen's really, really good and consistent. He's had some injury issues. But he did not care for his rating in Madden 20. He's not alone. Eric Ebron came out and said some stuff as well, said he was, quote, salty, unquote, about his rating as the 10th best or tied for the 10th best tight end in football. By the way, Delaney Walker had like the third highest tight end ratio at 92, which is interesting considering his injury history. But these Madden ratings every year, they bring out the ire of some folks. So I just want you to listen to this. This is Keenan Allen who recorded this for his own Facebook account. It's made the rounds. You may have seen it, but if not, you're going to laugh. If you have, then you're still going to laugh. Listen to Keenan Allen remarking about his 89 overall in Madden 20. And I just want to start this video off by saying I will not be playing Madden 20 Period. All right, number one, uh, my overall is at 89, for sure. Uh, my short route running is a 91. My medium route running is an 88. What? Like, my deep route running is a 75. Like, bro, who's making this dog? Wait, wait. Who did this? Speed's at 87. Like, bro, ain't nobody just running with me step for step like that, bro. Like, come on, dog. 
it's not that sweet out there, man. Like, what is you thinking? My strength is 69, like I'm a little boy. I'm just not understanding something. I'm not understanding. I'm an 89 on the game, Pro Bowl, back to back, thousands. I don't understand. What's up? Talk to me. So that's utter. I, I can't stop laughing about it. I, Keenan Allen just irate, just beside himself. How dare the Madden folk do this? What's hilarious is 89s, first of all, it's not bad. If you look at his numbers just from a yardage standpoint, Keenan Allen was number 15 in pass catchers last year. That includes wide receivers and tight ends. There were a couple of tight ends that were in there, George Kittle and Travis Kelsey, I believe. So he was the 13th best among receivers just in yards. Now, he's really good, but an 89 is not bad at all. And he's talking about his speed and all of these various things. It is funny. They do get a lot of this stuff wrong year in and year out. You'll see uh, how could this guy be this high up and things like that. But these guys get so uptight, so bent out of shape about it. There is a conspiracy theory out there that Madden loves this and they do this and they tell a couple of players to raise their ire because it breaks up the profile of the game. But I don't think the Madden profile needs much propping up. Let me tell you why I think this happens. This happens because these dudes grew up playing this game. And you've always heard, don't meet your heroes or be careful meeting your heroes because they may let you down. They may be a jerk to you. They might not sign an autograph. You might catch them smoking or something like that that's you know a total non-starter for you. You never know what you're going to find because you think you know people that you actually don't. Oh, this guy's so nice, and he turns out he's not. Everybody probably has some kind of brush with celebrity that didn't go particularly well or didn't leave the impression that you thought it would. I would say in the minds of athletes, a celebrity is Madden. They grew up playing it with their friends, with their brothers or their sisters, with other teammates. Madden's been a part of their lives, just like NCAA has been. NCAA is probably a game I've put more hours into other than a Mario franchise my whole life. And I miss having it around just like everybody else does. One of the coolest things was waiting for that first roster update that somebody would take all the time to do where you get the names of the actual college football players. We would actually wait. Me and my crew would wait to start our dynasties until that happened. And then we would. And it would be like a holiday when it did happen. When you think about people putting your grown folk business out in public. That's what this feels like to me. It's like you met a celebrity and the celebrity shunned you. Madden means so much to these guys. I'm not saying all of them play it. A lot of them play Fortnite or play Call of Duty or play whatever else is out there. But a whole lot of them do. And a whole lot of us do too. And so the ego that is associated with being a pro athlete in much in most cases, and this goes back to the ESPYs with Norm MacDonald and his monologue for the ESPYs years ago and how no one could laugh at themselves. These athletes and these Hollywood stars in particular have a real hard time laughing at themselves. It's why Conan O'Brien has been successful because he's made a career out of self-deprecating humor. And there are other guys that have done very similar things to that as well. Letterman did that early in his career. And of course, Conan idolized Letterman. And The Simpsons was arguably a lot of times about being self-deprecating. And Conan was one of its writers during probably the height of that show in like the season four or five range before he would take off and go elsewhere, do some stuff with Saturday Night Live before he got his show. But if you're sitting there and you are playing Madden on a regular basis, you're playing with your friend, how long does it take before the friend, I've never been in a video game, so I can't speak to this, but how long before the friend that's on the couch next to you or whatever is like, bro, they put you as an 89. That's ridiculous. 
I was like, I would, I would take that as an insult, man. Like, I bet you it is hilarious to watch how people react that know these guys and see how this whole thing operates. So Keenan Allen's reaction, I think there's probably more of this than, than less. I will also say this. Keenan Allen's going to boycott this game. I doubt it. If he had the time to go into detail about his short and intermediate and long route running and awareness and all of the, the different categories, this dude is a Madden junkie. He might have his feelings hurt. He's just going to go in and change himself to a 99 across the board because you can do that. And then he's going to put himself into franchise mode or whatever. He's going to buy Madden. He's going to be first in line to buy Madden. We know this, but that audio is fantastic. We'll see you tomorrow. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. God bless and good night.